2 Corinthians 6, starting verse 14. Read through verse chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has a sanctuary of God with idols? For we are a sanctuary of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's just pray real quick. Father, we thank you for this time, this opportunity. We do pray that this is a time of just encouragement, edification, and help. Lord, as we uh, just look to your word and look to your truth. Lord, we thank you for these men. We bless them this morning and the rest of this week, we pray. Amen. Uh, we are finishing up notes from last week. Uh, who needs those? Do we have any extra copies of those somewhere? Notes from last week. Uh, I think they're I think on the shelf. Uh, should be on the shelf over there, so thanks. Notes from last week um, on masculinity and mysticism, part one. Today we'll be looking at part two, um, talking about kind of putting this, some of this stuff into practice. Uh, we looked at uh, talking about mysticism and, again, how would you define mysticism or, or Talk about like what does it what does it mean like I'm not a mystic I'm not some you know shaman or something so what does it mean mysticism like in our modern era a modern age how do you define that anyone okay. You good, yeah. Something it's it's basically it's my experience trumps um, biblical knowledge or biblical truth, right? The idea of mysticism in the modern era is is some sort of experience that gives me, in addition to or even contrary to the Bible, gives me some sort of special secret knowledge. Um, and how does that look today? Well, it looks like um, again, not trying to step on anyone's toes. Uh, too bad. Uh, maybe just a little bit. Um, again, these not saying these things necessarily are sinful, or you guys are like, you know, if you've done these things before, you know, you, you need to like go home and repent dust and ashes. But like, even even some things like personality tests can even be a form of mysticism. Why? Well, because I don't know who I am, and I need to look at these man-made personality types and personality tests in order to determine my individual self. That can be a form of mysticism because I, I need to look to some sort of outside extra knowledge to figure out truth and reality. Does that make sense? Okay, and so that's that, that, that it takes many different forms in um, Christianity in our modern era. So we looked at that a little bit last week. You can listen to the, the listen to everything from last time. You know, we, we have thoughts like God told me this, or God impressed upon me, or this worked for me, so therefore I should do this, and this worked. Uh, this this te- this idea worked for so and so. It changed their life. It changed their marriage, or whatever. Okay, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we should do it because pragmatism is not necessarily the best thing. Uh, it's not the best thing for us to uh, to, gu- to guide whether or not we should make a decision. We looked at, uh, okay, how do we think through this biblically? So we looked at just how, how the Bible brings clarity, number uh, Roman number four there, how the Bible brings clarity to how do we know how to think through things, how do we know how to make decisions, how do we know uh, truth and reality? Scriptures, right? God communicates to us by general revelation, which is his creation, and he, he, he speaks to us through his written word. God only communicates to us through his word um, in the sense of uh, giving us 
um, all we need for life and godliness, right? Second Peter 1 verse 3. Um, scripture doesn't talk about, doesn't say you should wait for some sort of impression or feeling or prompting in order to make a decision or step forward in faith. We don't need to do that. We can just step forward in faith based off of just principles from the Word of God, not waiting for some sort of inner prompting or feeling or something. Um, did we talk about this, how the canon is closed? Did we mention that? We'll talk about it. The canon is closed. What does that mean? The canon is closed. Like the gun, the guns are stopped and no more wars or what is it? What's that mean, Todd? The canon is closed. Yeah, good. Yeah. God's no longer revealing new things about himself or about what he will do to us. Uh, he's no longer revealing any any of that to us because we have his word. We have his all-sufficient word. Um, and we don't need to add anything else to it. You know, And because of that, we see the Bible is sufficient, meaning... What's the word sufficient mean? It's adequate. It's We don't need anything else to... To, to perform the function which it is given to us. Scripture is sufficient for that. You know, all scriptures God breathed and profitable for correction, for training, uh, or for teaching, correction, training, and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? Second Peter 1 3, I just mentioned that one as well. And, be, and also, then the Bible is authoritative, really should be flipped around. The Bible is first authoritative and therefore sufficient. Because what does authority mean? What does it mean the Bible is authoritative? Okay. Okay, so it's, so it's perfect. Okay, good. Okay, it's God's Word. But authoritative in what sense? Authoritative over what aspects of our lives? All aspects of our lives. Uh, it's authoritative. Why? Why is it authoritative? Roland, you, you, you alluded to it. Okay. Yeah, it's from God. It's authoritative because it's inspired, right? So it's from God. And it's, it's it's also inerrant, meaning it's it's without error. There's no flaws in it, and it's authoritative for all matters of life, all issues of life, um, all and even um, uh, even the idea of sufficiency. We need to think about sufficiency in terms of you know what um, what Todd just says. It's adequate the sense of for every good work. But also understanding sufficiency, even authority, in the sense of God didn't leave anything out. I've been thinking about that a lot lately uh, in regards to things like counseling and other stuff. It's kind of philosophy of ministry. Sufficiency also means God didn't leave anything out that's necessary for life. That's necessary for us to understand who He is, who we are, and what He wants for us. God didn't miss uh, something and just say, I hope you figure it out later. Right, and so the idea of authority, God has given us the authority of His Word that speaks to all of our life. And so, when we look to other sources, we'll talk about this in, in a minute. For authority, for how should I think about myself? We have a problem there. When we look to man-made inventions and man-made ideology ideologies as authoritative in my life to tell me how do I think about how should I think about mankind, or how should I think about God, or how should I think about life in general and how to think, we have a different, we have a problem because then that tool now becomes the authority rather than Scripture. That thing, that ideology, that methodology becomes the authority rather than God's Word in my life. And that's where the mysticism aspect comes into play, Right? So again, how, how does God still communicate today? Yeah, he does through the Bible. As I think Roland mentioned last week, MacArthur or others have said, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear him speak audibly, read it out loud, right? So it's just, that's how God speaks to us. We don't need, and really today, it's sort of the idea of, well, in order for me to have a true experience, a true Christian experience, I need to have some sort of experience outside of Scripture, some sort of uh, you know, audible voice or some sort of something, which Scripture doesn't say as is normative at all. 
Um, and so we need to just be, be cautious with that um, and be, be aware and be mindful of maybe where am I getting these thoughts from, from Scripture or, for, or from maybe um, uh, outside sources, right? Um, so the Scripture brings clarity to how do we think through things like mysticism. Also, the Holy Spirit helps to bring clarity to the idea of mysticism. Uh, we have to think of the Holy Spirit not as an it or a feeling or a prompting or whatever, but as a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, right? It's not, he's not some sort of part of God or aspect of God. He is God, right? He is, he is, he is divine. He is full deity, just as the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he is the one, the Holy Spirit is the person who indwells believers and gives them new life. He's the one who does the regeneration work, John 3. Right? We were born again through the Spirit. The Spirit also has characteristics of personality, just as Christ does, as the Father does, as you know, giving life. There's intelligence there. There's freedom and purpose of His will. Uh, unlike us, there's liberty, love, and so on. Uh, he displays uh, things like he, you know, they have speaking, interceding, commanding, teaching us, testifying, and, <clears throat> and so on. How does He do that? He does that through His Word. Right? The Spirit is the one who inspired Scripture. He is the one who, <clears throat> who uh, was the agent of, of, uh, of inspiration for the biblical writers. Right? And so he is, and you see that there, he's the author of Scripture. 2 Peter 1, uh, which we've talked about in length multiple times, and I think I've even preached this once. Um, but 2 Peter 1, oh, that's 1 Peter 1. Um, it's just a very helpful text, 2 Peter 1, verse 20, or really verse 19. So we have this prophetic word made more sure, meaning like more sure than, than Peter's experience on the mountain transfiguration. <clears throat> he says we have this more sure prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place, meaning it gives illumination, um, right? Until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, verse 20, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture com comes by one's own interpretation, or more of the idea is by one's own ideas, one's own invention. But no prophecy, verse 21, was ever made by human will. But men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Right? So the Spirit brings clarity. Why? Because of who He is. He is God, He is deity, and He wrote Scripture. And also that He illumines Scripture. I'm kind of moving fast to this because I want to get to this... Uh, uh, this thing on the Enneagram in a minute. The Holy Spirit, he's the, he, he helps to illumine Scripture. What does illumination mean? What's illumination mean? What's the illumination of the Spirit mean? It brings it to light. Yeah, it's, it's the idea. It's, it's bringing understanding clarity and bringing to light the truths of Scripture. That we can read Scripture and understand it. That's the supernatural work of, of illumination. You have an unbeliever who will read through a text and say, yeah, I, I, I can intellectually understand what this says, but it doesn't make sense to me. Sure. Because you don't have the Spirit to help you fully grasp it and to understand what he is really saying there. All right, it's the illumination of the Spirit. Um, we have a quote from a uh, theologian, Paul ends there, who wrote the Moody Handbook of Theology, the revised edition, which is the, the early edition. I don't recommend you read it. The revised edition is, is, is good. It's decent. Um, there's uh, just some helpful things in there that he's added, uh, such as the doctrines of grace. Um, his view of the Holy Spirit has, 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 uh, has since changed. And so he revised his theology book because he came to a realization, I didn't believe in the doctrines of sovereign grace, and I, I need to... to I need to believe that because it's in the Bible. So he revised his theology book. Anyway, he says this, even while applying in proper hermeneutics methodology, there's a divine element to understanding God's truth. The believer is aided by the Holy Spirit's ministry of illumination and guiding the believer to understand divine truth. And that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, verse 11. Let me just read that so you guys know we're not making things up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> Um, for who among men knows the depths of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him even to the depths of God no one knows except the spirit of God 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God, of which depths we ought to speak, not of words taught by human wisdom, but by those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual depths with spiritual words. And then verse 16, Who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may direct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Why? Because we have the Spirit indwelling in us. So there's the idea of the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us understand Scripture. The Spirit also is the one who is, who, who is in us to not only understand Scripture, then to obey it. Galatians 5 the fruit of the Spirit, right? the Spirit in us now to help us to walk in obedience to God's Word. Also, this idea of being led by the Spirit can be misunderstood and, and is often misconstrued a lot today. This idea of being led by the Spirit, it's not some sort of again, mystical idea. I was led by the Spirit to do such and such or this or that. Really, being led by the Spirit is just I'm being led by the Word of God. To be led by the Spirit means I'm being obedient to the Word of God. Just, just quickly, again, there's more in your notes you can read there. But Colossians uh, 3, uh, 16, thanks. Um, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing uh, with gratefulness in your hearts to God. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Then a parallel verse in Ephesians, where is it? Ephesians 5. Okay, thanks, Bill. Uh, 5, what? No, 517. 519. Um, or 18, sorry. And do not get drunk with wine for that dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to God. The same, Paul saying the same thing, just let the Spirit be filled with the Spirit, parallel, be filled with the Word of God. You see that? To be led by the Spirit means to be led by what does Scripture call me to do? Because Scripture is the authority in my life. To be led by the Spirit means what does God say in His Word for me to walk in obedience to? What does that mean for me in my life today? That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. It's to be led by the Word of God because the Spirit is one who spoke the Word of God. Okay? I have some quotes there from uh, Donald Whitney and uh, John Murray. You can read those on your own time. There's also something in there we put in there about uh, guidance and the will of God. Again, how do we know God's will? Again, I'm moving quickly through this because I want to get to this Enneagram thing. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we'll cover something different next week. The will of God. How, how do I know the God's, God's will? The Scriptures, Providence. Eric has talked about this in length before, so I don't need to get into it um, in super big detail. Uh, when did we talk about this? It was a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, Eric talked about it a few years ago. I think we can, we can look for it online about the will of God and the providence of God and Understanding. Um, yeah, yeah, there's been a few things, so I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, overlap too much. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, mysticism would apply to Roman Catholicism and really any false religion where they're bringing in outside things or bringing in things like, I gotta worship Mary because of this, or worship a saint, or, or go to this grave and, and deal in, you know, and soak up this, this person's uh, dirt um, to help me. Yeah. Uh, you know, look there at, at the conclusion um, on uh, Roman Rule 5. Uh, again, skipped a lot, but just because I want to spend some time on these new notes. It said, again, mysticism influences a lot of modern Christianity. I, 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 just, I just kind of joked about this like, grape-soaking idea, but it's a real thing. A lot of quote-unquote evangelicals will go to graves of, of past um, saints and sit on their grave 
and try to soak up their their power. That's yeah, that's mysticism and idolatry. But that happens. It happens. Not just that, but other you know, there's very similar things to that. It's the idea of again, I'm I'm trying to seek guidance from other outside extra biblical means of what should I do, how should I think about God, how should I think about me, how should I think about reality, how should I think about life. We have to be, as men, we're the leaders of our home, we need to be mindful of what's coming into our home. What are our wives reading, listening to, podcasts, books? What are our kids listening to and reading? Were they being influenced and told by others on social media? In our, is, it, is, it, is it biblical or is it some sort of mystical outside source? And how can we tell? A couple of different ways, and we'll look at that. Your, your new notes. New notes there, or the appendix, again, the Enneagram. Again, you guys heard of the Enneagram. You not heard of that. If you haven't, you know, ask your wife. I'm sure she has. Um, again, this... You know, if you're into this, or if, or if you've done this, or if you read this book, or you know your Enneagram number, don't stone me. Um, but uh, my, my, the goal here is is not to say you're a horrible person and you need to go and repent and dust and ashes. Uh, maybe you do, but the idea is, it is we want to evaluate this really new modern mystic fad in evangelicalism, which is sweeping Christianity today, uh, Western Christianity and uh, say, is this biblical, or is this just another mystical idea and fad that will fade away? How can we tell what is going on here? Right, well again, what is the Enneagram? Again, the Enneagram, um, if you ever heard of it, uh, there's multiple books out there you can get uh, from both Christian and non-Christian perspectives, which should tell you something. But Enneagram is claimed, if you go to the, uh, I went to the website Enneagram like Center or something, um, it was really weird and confusing, and like, didn't, they didn't even like give a clear definition of what the Enneagram was on the website. Anyway, but it's basically it's claimed to be just the personality type test to understand who you are, understand understand how you respond to life, or why you respond to life the way that you do. The Enneagram is it, it, Enneagram just means like nine sided. It's there's nine different personality types. That's what it means. Right? Um, it's, uh, it's supposed to help you understand why do you respond to life the way that you do and how do you and why do you interpret life the way that you do? That's what it's designed to supposedly help you understand. And the more that you do it, the more that you study it, the more that you abide by its principles and guidelines, the claim is that the more enlightened you will be and the more you will grow in spirituality. That's the claim. The more that you abide by the, the, the principles, and rules of the Enneagram, you will understand more of life and you will grow to be more enlightened. That's the claim. So you should have a problem with that. Okay. Now, where did this come from? I don't know how to get pronounce this guy's name. Gurdjieff? I don't know. He's a you know, 19th century mystic, shaman, like this, this Gurdjieff 19th century pagan mystic traveled the world and like taught people this enneagram and how it was the key to understanding life okay no one really knows where this idea came from this nine-sided thing no one really knows but a lot of people say it came it come it came from afghani um sufi what i don't know some afghani mystics it's kind of where they, they, the claim is it came from there somewhere. And the claim from this guy, um, Gurdjieff, is that, uh, and from many others, is that, again, this, this idea, this, this Enneagram mindset, is you can attain divine insight and divine knowledge and, and you transcend human understanding from this, this reality. You can, if you follow these guidelines and follow these understandings, you can transcend human knowledge. Again, that's, not, that's Gnosticism. 
It's the idea of Gnosticism, sort of special, extra revealed knowledge outside of Scripture. He claimed it to, to be, communicate directly with divine. He probably did. He seems to have heard some sort of demon. Um, but the idea is he, he can communicate directly with, with the divine, and essentially you can become one with God. That was his claim, and that's what he taught people. And this is one of the chief dudes in the 19th century teaching this, this idea. Well, eventually it, uh, it comes to um, modern era, uh, the 1960s and 70s. Um, two, two main dudes, uh, Oscar Ichazo and Claudia Naranjo. Okay? Uh, the, these two guys really popularize this, this theology, if you will. Okay, Oscar Chazo is a Bolivian-born um, guy, claimed to learn, again, a symbol from, from Afghani mystics before reading it from Gurdjieff. Um, and he developed uh, this guy, this idea, Oscar Echazo, uh, he, uh, he developed this what's called proto-analysis um, uh, theory to achieve full enlightenment through the study of physical organs, astrolo astrological signs. So he's, an, um, you know, he's a mystic there, and like mantra chanting. Okay. And so then what he did is he characterized nine psychological personality types as uh, ego, he called them ego fixations, to fit um, these nine Enneagram models, these nine Enneagram things, points. He sort of overlaid psychological theory and, and personality typology into the nine different Enneagram points. Okay? So you can just merge some of these two things. Okay, and then another guy, Claudia Naranjo, or Claudio Naranjo, was a Gestalt psychologist or psychiatrist trained at a certain institute in Germany. Gestalt therapy, does anyone know what that is? I wasn't super familiar with it. But basically, it's a theory that is sort of pushing against analytical therapy like Freudianism or cognitive therapy. It's pushing against that, and it's all about experiential, experimental therapy, a stressing awareness and um, you know, self-actualization and, and sort of self-based knowledge. That's, that's the type of psychology. And so he's thinking this is very similar to the Enneagram sort of mindset, and so let's merge the two. He also claimed these personality types came to him through automatic writing. What is automatic writing? Demonic. It's you close your eyes and you just write. Like whatever comes to my mind, I write. You know any other modern book that came that way, supposedly? Book of Mormon, but also this book that is all around and maybe on some of your shelves. The Secret and also Jesus Calling. Jesus Calling, the late, if you read the intro, the lady, or what her name is, Sarah Young, said, This came to me basically through automatic writing. She doesn't say those exact words, but that's what she's saying. This came to me through automatic writing. Basically, this is from God. This would mean that's scripture. That's the claim. This came to me through automatic writing. That's demonic. That's not biblical. That's not something we should applaud and give people awards for. This guy is saying, I came up with the Enneagram personality types and modeled all this thing, which we have today, in our churches through automatic writing sessions. It just so happened his personality type fitting therapy fit really well, again, with the Enneagram sort of model. Now, he also taught this in a school um, at, in the Berkeley area, no surprise there, to Jesuit priests. To two Jesuit priests, Richard Ors, and um, uh, to another guy, uh, Richard Rohr. Okay? He, Naranjo also said, taught his students, don't tell other people what I'm teaching you, which is weird. But his mindset was, this is secret. This is a secret knowledge. People need to discover it for themselves. That's why he would say that. I'm teaching it to you, but you can't teach it to others, which is weird. 
Okay, but his idea, this is a secret sort of knowledge. Don't, t- don't pass it on. People need to come up with it themselves. What was that? Yeah, yeah unless I tell you. Yeah. So again, against though, Naranjo's directive, um, this, this, uh, people taught it, to, obviously, to others. Um, Richard Orks, he taught it to Jesuit priests at Loyola University. They taught it to other people, and, it, and then it came down to uh, these other guys who are kind of still alive, Richard Rohr and Don Rizzo who both wrote very influential books on the Enneagram in the 80s and 90s. Richard Rohr is basically seen as a father of the modern Enneagram movement. He's, he's the guru. He's the current modern guru of the Enneagram. Now, what does this have to do with me? What does that have to do with us today in Christianity? Well, and so really, who's teaching this today? Who's teaching this stuff? And we're going to talk about what is, what's actually being taught in it in just a minute. Just hold on. Who's teaching this today? You might not have heard of these books or heard of these uh, people, but you've heard of who they're influenced and who is promoting them. Okay. Ian Crone. Has anyone heard of that name? Ian Crone? I hadn't either, but he wrote a book called The Road Back to You. Has anyone heard of that? I've heard of that book before, The Road Back to You. Ian Crone, again, he's an Episcopal priest. He's a seminary speaker. He's in a dove award-winning songwriter. That's like the Christian songwriting thing. Um, and he's a promoter of this, and he wrote his book, The Road Back to You, is basically about the Enneagram and, and Christianity and how you mix the two together and how the Enneagram helps you understand who God is and how, and who you are and who and how salvation works. And he co-authored his book, The Road Back to You, with another gal, Susan's um, uh, stability, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, again, he, he, this guy, though, Ian Crone, um, was very influential with modern Christian leaders such as Andy, Andy Stanley. You've heard of him. right? He's chums with Andy Stanley. Um, Carrie, oh, I pronounce that last name. Russell Moore. You've heard of Russell Moore, haven't we? He's the current executive um, director or... Uh, Chief Editor-in-Chief of Christianity Today, of Fuller Seminary and Denver Seminary. And, in, and he's big in Nashville, the Nashville kind of Christian music scene, or just the music scene in general in Nashville. <clears throat> um, he helps with a lot of, and basically by that statement, he helps with a lot of modern Christian songwriting. He's influential in that. So even Christian songs you hear on the radio are influenced by, some of this, by this guy and by this uh, Enneagram theology. Okay. And now these might you might see this is all conspiracy theory. It's not. I'm getting all this from a, from a dissertation. Um, I meant to bring the book. Actually, we have it in there. It's called the Enneagram. Like, is it biblical? Uh, by Ren Cherry. Uh, I took this all from him. He did a dissertation on this. Um, so he he went through all this stuff, did all his research, read all firsthand accounts. I didn't do that because I just read his stuff. Um, okay. Again, so this this guy Ian Crone. Has written a modern book, "The Road Back to You," and it's influenced some two of the some of the biggest names in evangelicalism today: Andy Stanley and Russell Moore. In two big seminaries, Denver Seminary and Fuller Seminary, he's influenced them by to, with, with this theology. Another gal again, Susan um, Stabile, I think to pronounce it. She wrote a book called "The Path Between Us," as well as "The Road Back to You." She wrote this other book called "The Path Between Us." Again. She lectures at you know, Harvard Divinity School, which is not a, a seminary. Also SMU, which is uh, Southern Methodist University in Texas, and then also Texas Christian University. She lectures there on, this, on Enneagram. She, lect- she lectures at these schools on Enneagram um, tradition and theology. She was also chosen by InterVarsity Press, which is a really, really popular Christian publishing house, as the Enneagram trainer for for their staff. So the IVV, IVP Press, um, InterVarsity Press, their staff is trained by her currently in the Enneagram. Okay, so this, this kind of here, what I'm trying to do here is give you a picture of what is being promoted here. <clears throat> and then we'll see why is this bad. This is how heavily this is being promoted in many writings that you're reading. Books are coming out. Things that are being that are that are being uh, <clears throat> just touted as biblical and as great are being heavily influenced by these individuals. And, and another guy, Christopher Hurwitz, 
wrote, wrote a book called the, Sac- the Sacred Enneagram. Um, he's an Enneagram coach. He's a human, uh, anti-human trafficking activist, which is great. Um, <clears throat> but he wrote a couple books called The Sacred Enneagram, The Enneagram of Belonging, both put out by Zondervan, which is another massive Christian publishing company. He's a freak, and he goes to Christian campuses, college campuses all the time, teaching on the Enneagram. He goes all over, and these books you've probably heard of, or these are being promoted by many people. The Sacred Enneagram, the Enneagram of Belonging. Okay, again, these are just new, new books. These aren't old from the you know seventies and eighties, which would be fine. <clears throat> uh, if books, old books are great, but uh, these are new books are being promoted that are being touted as these are the next big thing. Okay, just the whole thing give you a picture of what's being taught or who's being who's teaching this, what's influencing this, and so on. Okay, <clears throat> you might think Matt, you're crazy. That's fine. Now, what are the dangers of this? Whenever you see a new fad coming up into the church, a couple things. First, realize how long has this been in the culture? Because Christianity is typically late behind the game. But also, why? Why is this fad coming up? Why is this a big deal? What's going on here? Okay, is this really biblical? Or is this some sort of new thing that just is Christianity just stamps its name on and said, this is Christian? Because we say so. Because Andy Stanley and Russell Moore and Fuller Seminary and Christianity Today says it's okay. Which, you know, especially with personality types, what personality type is right? Which one is authoritative? Which one is authoritative? I can take five different ones. I was tempted to yesterday, but that's <clears throat> enough time. Didn't want to waste my time. <clears throat> Some of them are like 150 questions. I don't have time for that. Um, which which test is right? Which one's authoritative? Which one is true? I didn't ask myself that sort of question. Now, some verses help help us understand this. Again, now Acts seventeen verse twenty, Paul says, or Luke writing, um, says, now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. There's something new in Christianity. Here's a book. I'm promoting a book about it. It's, it's a new thing. Read this book. It's a new thing. There's nothing here, guys. Right? It's a new thing. You've got to be careful of that. Luke is, is, is commenting here saying, all they did was saying, here's something new. Listen to me. You've got to be careful of that. You've got to be careful. Colossians 2.8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition according to your elementary spirit to the world, not according to Christ. Second Peter 2.1 But false prophets also arose among you, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Every time you see heresy brought into the church that looks like truth, that is promoted as truth, it quickly and over time destroys those who teach it. Destroys those churches. You see it every time. You see it. You see. You're seeing right now in the in the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, with with heresies are being brought in, multiple different levels, and you see it just you see it crumble. You see, I mean, you see Fuller Seminary crumble. I mean, it's crumbled for decades, but it's crumbling. It's it's there's nothing left. Right, worth talking about. <clears throat> so what's destructive heresies about this Enneagram thing? We're going to go through four different categories. What does Enneagram teach about God? About man? About sin? About salvation? This is what the Enneagram teaches. Okay, if, you, if you read um, these secular, um, like these guys, uh, Naranjo and... Um, uh, Chazo. Okay. <clears throat> and just looking at websites and stuff, you can find this pretty easily. The Enneagram views God in this way that God is, is in everything and transcends everything. What does it mean that God is in everything? 
What is another name for that? Those are the P. Okay. Close, I understand. Yeah, God, that's the idea of God's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But this, this idea of God is in everything. Pantheism. Okay. God is in everything. God's in this cup. God's here. God's in the mountains. God is there. Sure, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But the idea of God is in everything, meaning this thing is God. This is God. This is God. This is part of God. This is part of God. Nope. They say God entered into all of creation. So everything part... So basically, God, God is... Like what is God? God is this. God is the mountains. God is the trees. God is the birds. God is that. That's, that's pantheism. Right? God enters into, like, physically all of creation. And so it, the incarnation is creation. And so, therefore, a bunch of different paths exist to God. Okay? This is what the Enneagram teaches. That's bad. We can't Christianize that. <laughs> right? We, no, why would we want to do that? Yeah, the Bible teaches, though, that God alone is holy, distinct from creation. He created everything. He's distinct from it. He's not in it. Okay, there's a difference there. We've got to understand that. God is distinct from what he made. He oversees it. He is over it. Amen, absolutely. He is distinct from it. He's not in it. He, that's, that's heresy. Okay. Only one incarnation occurred, because people say incarnation occurred like God coming into creation. That's Incarnation occurred. Christ taking on a human flesh became a man. That's the only incarnation. Okay. The only way to the Father is through Christ, not through creation, not through extra biblical knowledge, not through achieving this sort of higher life mindset, this higher spirituality that I will eventually achieve if I follow these steps and follow these plans and live by these rules. That's not true. That's heresy. What is the Enneagram's view of man? I mean, even in some of these Christian books, Christian books, it's, it's promoted basically the man's basically good. You're basically a good person. And it's just the environment that messes you up. It's very me-centered. It's very, very me-centered. And again, even the Christianized versions of this, they talk about the true, the true self, the true self. Man has to achieve his true self by divine help or divine nature or divine whatever. It's the idea of I have to find my true self. The, the whole Enneagram personality thing is in order for me to find my true self, I need to follow these steps, follow these programs, and this will help me find my true self. Help me find my true individualism. Help me find my true identity. Because today, in today, really, the whole, the whole mindset and culture is my true self, my true identity. Transgenderism, my true self, my true identity. In Christianity, it's my true self. What's my true identity? What's my, what's my truth or what's um, my true personality? How do I find that? And so that's being promoted all over the culture. And then these books come in and say, here's a way to find it. Here's a find your true self. Here's a way to find your true personality. And it's being eaten up. And why do these publishers do this? Because it makes millions of dollars. That's why. That's why Zondervan and IVP promote these books because they make money. I've talked to others in the publishing kind of industry, and that's like, the, like that's why they do this. They make money. That's their job, right? So anyway, so I'm not going to get off on that. I'm not going to go off on that tangent, right? They also view man has never really been separated from God except in his own mind. 
mankind's only separated from God in, in his mind. It's not really real, again, because God's in now all creation, so there's no separation there. Okay? Basically, all of mankind is in Christ, and uh, it's not really that big of a deal. Right? You don't use this is you change your mindset. Again, biblical. The biblical mindset, obviously, is that man is sinful and depraved. That's not taught in the Enneagram. That's not taught even in the Christianized versions that you're depraved by nature. You were created in God's image. God is distinct from man. Mankind is separated from God because of sin. Again, we need Christ to be the propitiation for our sin and so on. Again, but this idea of man is being heavily promoted, this mystic idea of mankind is being heavily promoted through this idea, even in modern kind of pop Christian mystic ideas. That mankind's basically good, you find your true self, your true personality needs to be brought up, and then you'll find a true lasting happiness and joy. You might not think that's, that, that, I mean, that's what's happening all over. <clears throat> I see it a lot in, in counseling when I'm talking to people who aren't necessarily part of our church, um, especially they're being influenced by this, even in, mo- in many of the other churches in this valley, in this area. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, more, the post-mill guys I know are like, Going to be more solid than than yeah, like no, this. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure how that would relate. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, again, how, how does the Enneagram view sin? Uh, basically, that you're not that sinful. Again, it's true self. You're not aware of how good you are. This is a lot of modern, just pop psychology. You have true goodness in you, you just need to be brought out. Man has a true self and a false self, and his false self obstructs his ability to see the good self. Original sin and total depravity were taught by these other guys as burden constructs that don't need to be taught, and they don't really exist. That original sin, um, taught by guys like Augustine, they say we're bad. They were burdensome realities or burdensome teachings that aren't reality. That's what they taught. Okay, that, that the idea of total depravity, that your sin, it just uh, is an obstruction of your true self. So get rid of that so that you can find your true self. Don't think how bad you are. Don't think about how sinful you are. Don't think about how much you need Christ. Don't do that. That can easily be morphed into Christianity today. We see it often in writings and music, movies, and so on. Obviously, the biblical view is you're sinful. You're way worse off than you think you are. You're rebellious against God. Any form of theology that says you're not that bad is bad. It's a bad doctrine, it's bad theology. You're not as sinful as you think you are, that's bad. Any, any, any sort of Christianity that promotes the idea of you're, like, you're better than maybe you realize, just give yourself more grace, uh, you know, you're, Jesus loves you, and, and you know, um, uh, don't worry about it, uh, don't worry about your sin. We need to be very, very cautious of that sort of mindset, that sort of theology. Because, again, these, these, these ideas are coming in from mystical, man-made, satanic ideologies and theologies, and they're, and they're being promoted as Christian. They're changing the language a little bit, changing the words a little bit, maybe making some adjustments here and there to Christianize this sort of thing. And the personality type wasn't even... You know, wasn't even part of the original mindset <clears throat> behind the Enneagram, but now it's being promoted. It's just, oh, it's come on, Pastor, you're just some big Debbie Downer. This is just a this is helps me understand who I am as a personality, as a person. The problem with that is that that takes it's a low view of scripture, it's a low view of God to say, I can find 
true identity and true self, my true personhood, through this man-made sort of typology that has no basis in anything. And, and really, it, it takes a low view of, of, of how God created man to say, I can be reduced to this person of a uh, loyalist or whatever. Uh, I don't know what it is. There's you know, nine different things. I can be reduced to this one personality type or maybe these two. I think that's a, that's a low view of how God made us. I can just be reduced. This is who I am, and how dare you tell me this? I'm going to do that. Anyway, yeah, Roland. Those are Greek. Those are sort of Greek personality types. It does. It does. Because those are Greek personality types that came in and say, well, there's four different main personalities. Or, or, or you know, part coming from our, from our bodies. Um, you know, am I going to harp on you because you use the you know you you're an enneagram type six or you're a phlegmatic person? No, I'm not going to come down on you and say you heretic. But I don't think it's a biblical way to view ourselves. Why? Because the scripture doesn't say where well, you're this type of personality. You're more of a melancholic person. Do we do some of us have more sad dispositions? Sure. I'm not going to label you so you're a melancholic, phlegmatic, phlegm, you know, whatever person. I don't think that's a helpful way to view it because that simplifies and sort of reduces humanity to this rather than God has how God has created us in, multi, in just multifaceted ways. But also, uh, it, it, looking at myself just through one personality type takes away at times my... My, my guilt and culpability for sin. Well, I don't feel bad because that's not my personality. I don't have to be like that guy, the Apostle Paul, because I'm not outgoing. Or what, I don't know, whatever. I'm just making something up, right? Yeah. Does this have any like, uh, correlation or is it related all to the other teaching? It's, yeah, very similar. Yeah, it's, yeah. That was uh, that was a fad, you know, in the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, that was that fad. This is the new fad. Yeah. So do you like, Pretty similar. Do you like fill out like a questionnaire and tell your personality, or mm-hmm. either one? Yeah, both. Yeah, you can go to therapy sessions. You can go to Enneagram therapist. You can go to online and and do this yourself. You can get books. You can get trains. You can get certifications. You can do all this stuff. And of course, it all costs money. <clears throat> now, now, lastly, here, what, what's the view of salvation from the Enneagram? Again, salvation is self knowledge. Salvation is the discovery of your good self, of your true self. Once I've re- once I've realized my true identity, my true self, and how how I work, that's salvation. My life becomes better. I'm more at ease. I'm more at peace. I'm more free. I, I you know, I, I, whatever, whatever they say, that's my salvation. I'm saved because this mindset, I have a new higher spiritual knowledge because of I've discovered my Enneagram number. My life has changed because now I realize that's why I did these things because I'm this number. I'm this type of person. That's why I don't get along with my husband or my wife because I'm this person and they're this person. So when we separate and I'm happier, I'm better, I'm more full, I'm more free. That's the reality, and that's how this works, oftentimes. Yeah. Again, salvation through the Enneagram is not through Christ. It's your own self-discovery and self-knowledge. When you read some of these Enneagram books from Christian, a Christian perspective, it does not talk about the cross and the gospel. It's not there. We have to talk on salvation from a biblical perspective is only through Christ, right? Only through the exclusivity of Christ and the cross. That's why we celebrate Christmas and Easter. (laughs) It's a big deal. That's why this is a big deal. Right? Scripture talks about how salvation is only through Christ and through Him alone. 
again, you know, is it is it okay then, or or based off of these sort of anti-biblical or contrary biblical doctrines of God and man, is it prudent or wise for us to utilize this sort of typology? And my answer would be no, it's not wise. Are you necessarily always sinning when you go when you when you would do that? I don't know if I would go that far to say like you're a heretic because you, you you believe this. <clears throat> like in the sense of like I, I'm reading this from a Christian perspective and I know I'm, I'm an Enneagram type one or I don't know what they are. Not necessarily, but is it wise? Is it, is it prudent? I would say absolutely not. Why? Because you're promoting this sort of mystical idea. You're promoting this sort of false religion, this false idea. It's not, it's not a it's not good. And I would counsel somebody and I would talk to anybody and say it's not it's not wise. You should you should stop doing that. It doesn't matter if you felt better or if it made things better in your life. That that's that's pragmatic and it's not biblical. And again, the Enneagram promotes a dangerous shift away from holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the authority and sufficiency of the Word of God. The Enneagram shifts you away from that. Oh, it's helped my quiet time. No, it hasn't. It's made you feel better. It's not helping your quiet time. There's a difference there. Again, the Enneagram mischaracterizes man's problem as something other than rebellion against God. Even the Christianized versions do that. They promote something other than your rebellion against God. And the Enneagram promotes a false gospel of self-knowledge and self-discovery and some sort of mystical or mythical good true self. You see this idea of true self all over the place. And it's there's, the true self is you're sinful, you're depraved, Romans 3, you're wretched, and you need to be saved. That's the true self. <laughs> uh, again, there's other things that can go on, and hopefully you know, this, I didn't come across as too harsh or whatever. Uh, again, the, the book, uh, we have it in there for, um, on our book table, bookshelf, and it, the Enneagram is a biblical by Ren Cherry, R-H-E-N-N, um, Cherry. Again, he does a dissertation on this. Um, uh, it's a helpful, helpful resource. That's where I got all this information from. He gives actual quotes from these guys that I didn't give you, but um, I didn't want to type them all in there. Um, I didn't have time to do all that, but um, uh, it's it's just not it's not helpful. It's not good. It's it's pretty. Uh, uh, I mean, you might see some of this stuff, but the thing, if you read firsthand accounts of what these guys are are actually saying, it's just not. It, it's not good. I, I mean. It, Today is being promoted heavily by you know, Jesuit Roman Catholic priests and then being adapted from these quote-unquote evangelicals into um, many, many churches. So there, there's just some lot of things to be cautious there about um, what is being promoted, what's being taught. Just using discernment, um, again, this idea of mysticism comes in many different forms. We've talked about the, uh, the more of the Greek, phlegmatic, melancholic, whatever stuff, love languages, other things. We just got to be cautious, men. Be wary of some of these things. I say, I can find outside knowledge, outside the scriptures to help me understand life and God. You can't do that. Scripture alone is sufficient. Scripture alone is authoritative. Nothing else. Nothing else. Roland. Uh, can you explain? I understand the fall of man. Uh huh. Mankind, along with all of creation, needs redemption and reconciliation with God. Yeah. Now, can you explain that? How creation needs redemption? Yeah. Creation's fallen, right? Yes. So, Romans, Paul talks about how creation groans, waiting for the redemption. One day, creation will be. No matter what eschatology we take, creation one day will be re- will be redone, restored, right? So even all of creation is fallen, right. not just mankind, right? So we have earthquakes, we have animals that eat each other and kill humans. Uh, uh, you know, we have volcanoes and things that destroy the earth. Those sort of things that will be redone and that will be recreated to a perfect, eventually a perfect earth, perfect heaven, a perfect earth. There's no destruction of it. There's no, um, there's there's gonna be no catastrophic catastrophic events, earthquakes, tsunamis, uh, hur- uh, hurricanes, 
um, whatever. Herbal Nation in the fall is, is gone, including the including on uh, on on creation. Well, a tree, a tree's going to die and those sort of things, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. No more, no more beetles that are going to kill trees, right? No more cats. Just kidding. Rabbits. All right. Anyway, yeah. Good, good question, Roland. Good question. All right, guys. Let me pray. Let's you guys get on today. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your your grace, your kindness, and Father, we thank you for your your sufficient word by which we know that is alone authoritative, that is alone sufficient, and that is all that we need to understand who you are, who we are, our true selves, our true natures, our true identities are found in you, Christ, and you alone. Give us grace this week, Father, to be obedient to you, to live out your word, to live out your truth. Give us wisdom as well, discernment how to talk to others, maybe who are stuck or caught in these um, understandings. May we be wise, uh, discerning according to your truth. We ask all this in your name. Amen.